0: Chapter ten of Niels Klim's Journey Under the Ground This Librivox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Winterout Chapter ten The Voyage to the Firmament Twice a year some very large birds called kupaki or post birds are wont to show themselves on the planet Nazer. They come and go at certain regular periods which has given rise to various opinions. Some think that insects, of which great multitudes appear at the same periods, and which the birds are very fond of eating, entice them down to the planet. This is my own notion. The circumstance that when these insects disappear, the birds return to the firmament places the opinion almost beyond all doubt. It is the same instinct which leads certain species of bird on our earth to migrate at regular periods. Others believe that these birds are trained like hawks and other birds of prey to fetch booty from other lands. This conjecture is grounded upon the great care with which they lay down their burdens when their flight is finished. This supposition is somewhat strengthened by the fact that they become tame and gentle just before they begin their flight, suffering themselves to be thrown into nets under which they lie immovable. Meanwhile they are fed with insects till the regular period arrives. Then a long box, just large enough to hold a tree or man, is fastened to a rope, which is again tied to the legs of the bird. On the banishment day, food is withheld from them, the nets are raised, and the Kupakis wing their way to the firmament. Two citizens of Patu have been doomed to banishment with myself. One was a metaphysician, who had offended the law by making some sage remarks upon the nature of spirits. The other was a fanatic who, by starting doubts concerning the holiness of religion and the uniting force of the civil law, was suspected to have designed the overthrow of both. This latter would not regulate himself by the public ordinances, because, he said, all civil obedience was inconsistent with his conscience. Thus three of us, namely a project maker, a metaphysician, and a fanatic, were on the first day of the birch month shut up in boxes. I never knew what became of my fellow sufferers. As for myself, I was enclosed with food sufficient for a few days. Shortly after, my kupaki, finding nothing to eat, started off with amazing speed. It is generally believed underground that the distance between the planet Nazar and the firmament is about 400 miles. I had no means of determining how long my passage was, but conjectured it to be about 24 hours. I heard nothing during this time but the heavy and monotonous flapping of the Kupaki's wings. At last there sounded in my ears a confounding noise, which announced that we could not be far from land. I now observed that the bird had really been trained, for he set the box with so much care on the ground that I did not feel the slightest jar. The box was immediately opened, and I rose up in the midst of a great multitude of monkeys, who, to my astonishment, conversed together in an intelligent language rather than chattered, and walked to and fro in measured and dignified paces. They were dressed in clothes of various colors. A number of them advanced toward me with much politeness, and handed me from the box. They seemed to be surprised at my figure, particularly when they discovered I had no tail. Their amazement was not lessened by the fact that I resembled then, laying aside the tail, more nearly than did any stranger they had hitherto seen. At the time of my arrival, the water was very high, owing to the nearness of Nazar. This planet has the same effect upon the tides of the firmament as our moon has upon those of the earth. I was led to a very large building, ornamented in the richest style. The presence of a guard at the door convinced me that it was the residence of no common monkey. It was, as I afterwards learned, the residence of the mayor of the monkeys. A number of teachers were selected to instruct me in their language. In three months I was enabled to speak with considerable readiness. Then I expected to procure for myself the admiration of all, for my prompt ingenuity and superior memory. But my teachers declared me to be sluggish and dull of apprehension, and in their impatience often threatened to abandon their charge. As on the planet Nazar, I have been ironically named Scaba, or the untimely, for my quick perceptions, so here I was called Cacadoran, which signifies idle and stupid. These only are respected here who can comprehend and express anything instantaneously. I amused myself during the course of my studies by walking about the city, in which I met on all sides notable signs of splendor and luxury. When I had finished my education, that is, when I could speak fluently, I was carried to the capital city, Martinia, from which the whole country takes its name. The object of the mayor evidently was, to insinuate himself into the favor of a certain councillor by presenting to him a strange and unprecedented animal. The government of Martinia is aristocratical. The state is administered by a great council, selected from the body of the old nobility. Before proceeding to the house of the Lord, to whom I was to be offered, the mayor led me to a hotel, where we could make ourselves presentable to His Excellency. Several servants, called maskati, or dressers, joined us for this purpose. One took the mayor's sword to burnish it, another tied different colored beads to his tail. I will here remark that nothing lays nearer to a monkey's heart than the adornment of his tail. When my conductor was polished, dressed, and adorned, we departed for the President's palace, followed by three servants. On coming to the entrance, the Mayor loosed his shoes that he might not soil the marble floor. After waiting for a long time, with not a little impatience, we were suffered to enter the reception hall. Here the President sat in a golden chair. As soon as he saw us, the President burst out in a terrific laugh. I concluded either that he was seized by delirium, or that silly and insane laughter was a peculiarity of great people in Martinia. In short, I took his lordship to be a fool. I afterwards expressed this opinion to the mayor, but he assured me that the president was a monkey of remarkable natural powers, that his mind was so comprehensive that he not only determined matters of the highest importance at table with his glass in hand, but even wrote or dictated a new statute between the courses. His Excellency tattled to me half an hour, his tongue wagging the while, with an agility immeasurably superior to that of our European barbers. Then turning to my companion, he said he would take me among his subordinate attendants, since he perceived from my sluggish disposition that I must have been born in the land of stupidity, where long-eared mortals in perpetual fogs "'oft lose their way to mire and horrid bogs. "'And consequently that I was unfit for any office of trust and respectability. "'I have indeed, urged the mayor, observed a natural obtuseness in this man. "'Nevertheless, when he is allowed time to think, he judges by no means badly.' "'Of what use is that?' replied the President. "'Here we need nimble officers, for the immense diversity of our affairs does not give us time to think.' The President, having spoken thus, very gravely and carefully examined my body and directed me to lift a heavy weight from the floor. Seeing that I did this with ease, he remarked, Nature, although she has stinted you in the faculties of the soul, has compensated in some measure by granting you a degree of bodily strength. I now received orders to go out and wait in the court. Soon after the Mayor followed, and as he passed, told me that His Excellency had determined to include me in his train. I concluded from His Lordship's undervaluing opinion of me that my situation could not be very elevated. Still, I was curious to know my fate, and therefore asked the mayor if he knew what I was to be entrusted with. The mayor answered, His Excellency, with special grace, has appointed you for his chief porter, with a yearly pay of twenty-five stercolatus." A stercolatou is about one dollar of our money. Furthermore, he will not require your services for any but himself and her grace, his lady. This answer was like a thunderstroke to me, but I was sensible that it was useless to object. I was carried to a chamber, where a supper of dried fruits was laid. After eating a little, my bed was pointed out to me. I threw myself upon the bed, but my mind was so agitated that I could not for a time close my eyes and sleep. The pride and contempt with which the monkeys regarded me provoked me almost to rage. A more than Spartan patience was needed to listen with indifference to their sneers. At last I slumbered. How long I know not, for in the firmament there is no division of night and day. It is never dark, except at a certain period, when the planet Nazar comes between the firmament and the subterranean sun." On awakening, I found at my side a mean-looking monkey, who asserted that he was my colleague. He had brought with him a false tail, which he fixed upon me, and then tied to it some ribbons of various colors. He told me that in half an hour the President would be ready to set out for the Academy, and that I must prepare myself to begin my duties. The ceremony of promoting a doctor was to take place. We bore the President to the Academy in a golden sedan and were suffered to remain in the hall during the performance at the entrance of the president all the doctors and masters of art rose and turned their tails towards him to a dweller on the earth such salutations would probably have appeared unseemly and ridiculous as such a movement with us is expressive of indifference or dislike but every land has its own customs i have seen so many strange ceremonies and varied usages that i have come to observe rather than laugh at them. The act of promotion on this occasion was performed with the following ceremonies. The candidate was placed in the middle of the hall. Then three officers, each with a pail of cold water, approached him with measured steps. Each in turn dashed his bucket of water in the candidate's face. The sufferer is obliged to receive this bath without distorting his countenance on pain of forfeiting his degree. Odorous oils were then sprinkled over him, and finally a powerful vomit was given to him. When this last dose had produced its usual effect upon the candidate, he was pronounced to be a lawfully graduated doctor. I turned to a learned doctor who stood near me, and humbly asked him the meaning of all I had seen. First expressing his pity for my ignorance, the sneering pedant condescended to inform me that the ceremony of the water was significant of the preparation for a new course of life and duty, the ointment of elevation above the mass, and the vomit of the extermination of prejudice and error. I fancied, but I did not say so, that my dignified instructor in the mysteries needed a fresh vomit. The Martinianic religion is not at all practical. There are 230 speculations concerning the form and being of God, and 396 of the nature and qualities of the soul. There are many churches and theological seminaries, but in neither is taught the way to live and die well. The people are all critics, who go to be amused by the art and delicacy of the holy teachers. The more obscure and involved the propositions of their preachers, the more they are praised. The Martinians are indifferent to everything they can easily understand. Martinia is the paradise of project-makers. The more inconsistent and useless a scheme, the surer it is of general approbation. When I once spoke with an enthusiastic monkey of the earth and its inhabitants, he fell upon the notion to bore through to the surface and make a convenient and easy way of communication. He prepared a long and eloquently worded plan on the subject, which pleased and excited everybody. A company was formed and named the Subterranean Boring Company. Its originator, Hee Ho Pop Coke, was made its president. The stock was seized on with avidity, and the project was not abandoned until a multitude of families had been ruined and the public affairs brought into the greatest disorder, and even then the scheme was dropped less from its supposed impracticability than from the length of time required to accomplish it. The author of it was not only left unpunished, but was overwhelmed with a general applause for the originality and boldness of his attempt. The Martinians are used to console themselves on such occasions by repeating the following couplet. The project ended in defeat. The notion was, however, neat. When I had thoroughly studied the character of this people, I determined to take advantage of their weaknesses, and by some outrageous proposal to gain their respect and thereby better my condition. I revealed my intention to a shrewd old monkey, who encouraged me in these words. Who would succeed in Martinianac land must quit the useful to propose the grand. Hazard these deeds that to the gallows pave thy fortunes made, here's honor for the knave. After due deliberation, my choice became fixed upon that ornament for the head, called wigs by us. I had previously noticed that the land contained a multitude of goats, with the hair of these creatures I proposed to manufacture my wigs. My stepfather had been engaged in the trade, and, as I had, with the inquisitiveness of youth, observed the process I could bungle at it. I made a goat's hair wig for myself, and adorned with it, presented myself to the President. This dignitary was astonished at the new and uncommon decoration. He seized it from my head, and placing it on his own, hastened in a very undignified manner to the mirror. So enraptured was he at the sight of the pompous protuberance that he shrieked out, Divine art, how like a god am I! He sent immediately for her grace to partake in his joy. She was not less pleased than her lord. She embraced him, kissed him, and assured him that she had never seen him more handsome. The president addressed himself to me with much less haughtiness than usual. O Kakadoran, he exclaimed. If this discovery of yours pleases the Council as well as it does me, your fortune is made. You may hope for the most honorable reward the State can give. I gracefully thanked His Excellency, and immediately wrote a petition which I requested him to lay before the Council. His Excellency took the petition together with the wig and departed. I understood that all the cases which were to come before the Council on this day had been laid aside, so inquisitive were all to hear and examine my project the work was accepted and an appropriate reward was adjudged to me i was called up to the council chamber on my entrance an old monkey stood up and after thanking me in the name of the whole republic demanded that my work should be rewarded as its merits deserved he then demanded what length of time should i need to fabricate another head ornament i replied that it was reward enough for me that my curious workmanship had gained the approbation of the great men who composed the council. For the rest, I bound myself to make another wig in two days, and also to manufacture wigs enough for the whole city in a month, provided I might count upon the assistance of a number of monkeys accustomed to work. This proposal, however, made the president hot about the ears, and he exclaimed with much eagerness, "'It is not fit, my dear Cacadoran, that this ornament should be common to the whole town.' for being worn by all without distinction, it will become ordinary and vulgar. The nobility must necessarily be distinguished from the common people. All the members of the council concurred in his opinion, and the city marshal was charged to take heed that none might wear wigs except the nobility. This order having been promulgated, the citizens thronged about the council chamber to obtain titles and charters which some bought with their money and others procured through the influence of their friends, so that in a short time full half the city were made nobles. But when petition after petition poured in from the provinces, that the like favor should be extended to them, the council, being possessed with a righteous fear of riot and civil war, finally determined to allow everyone, without distinction of rank, to wear a wig. I thus had the pleasure to see the whole Martinianac nation wigged before I left that country and truly, it can scarcely be imagined what a funny and ridiculous appearance the wigged Monkeys presented. The whole nation made so much of my project, and its accomplishment, that a new era was established, and from this time the Whig Age commenced in the Martinian Act annals. In the meantime, I was loaded with praises and panegyrics, wrapped in a purple cloak, and returned from the courthouse in the President's own sedan, the same porteur who had formerly been my companion, serving me now as a horse. From that day I dined continually at the table of His Excellency. With this glittering preamble to my fortunes, I commenced in earnest the work I had promised, and soon finished wigs enough for the whole council, and after sweating for a month, a patent of nobility was brought to me, couched in the following words, In consideration of the most excellent and very useful discovery, through which Cacadoran, born in Europe, has made himself worthy of the gratitude of the whole Martinianac nation, we have resolved to advance him to the rank of nobility, so that he and all his descendants shall be regarded as true noblemen, and enjoy all the prerogatives and rights of which the nobility of Martinia are in possession. Furthermore, we have determined to dignify him with a new name. He shall therefore from this day be no longer called Cacadorin but Kikidorian. Moreover, since his new dignity requires a richer style of living, we grant him a yearly pension of two hundred paterer, given in the council chamber of Martinia the fourth day of the month Mirian under the great seal of the council. Thus I suddenly became changed from a simple porter to a respectable nobleman, and lived for a long while in great splendor and honor. When it was known that I was high in the favor of the president— everybody sought my good-will and protection it is the fashion among the poets of martinia to panegyrize the tales of eminent monkeys as it is with us to eulogize the beauty of women several poets commended the beauty of my tale although i had none to say everything on this subject in a few words their fawning servility towards me was so extreme that a certain man of high rank and station did not hesitate nor did he feel himself shamed to promise me that his wife would make herself agreeable to me in every possible way provided that I would recompense him by recommending him to the president when i had lived in this land for the space of two years at first a porter and latterly a nobleman an incident entirely unexpected occurred which was nearly fatal to me i had up to this period been in special favor with his excellency and her grace the president's lady had evinced so much kindness to me that I was regarded the first among all her favorites. She was distinguished for her virtue, but, when in the lapse of time I perceived one after another ambiguity in her expressions, I began to feel a kind of mistrust, especially when I observed that, sometimes she'd smile with wanton grace that unto sudden tears give place, while gazing silent on my face with mild devotion. Hers all the art of tenderness that pleases while it wounds no less, her breasts half covered now confess their strange emotion. Then sighs that can no reason find, or used to make my reason blind, her hands upon her breast entwined, ah, female charms. Her face would lose its rosy hue, for lilies washed in morning dew, aurora's purple blazed anew in love's alarms. My suspicions finally became certainties, when a chambermaid brought to me one day the following note. Dearest Kikidorian, The feeling which I owe to my rank and high descent, and the modesty natural to my sex, have until now hindered the sparks of love which have secretly burned in my bosom from breaking forth an open flame. But I am weary of the combat, and my heart can no longer resist its bewitching enemy. Have pity for a female from whom only the utmost degree of burning love could have been able to extort a confession. Tarnsa. I cannot describe how singularly I felt at this entirely unexpected declaration of love. But as I held it far better to expose myself to the revenge of a furious female than to sin against the order of nature by a shameful intimacy with a creature that did not belong to my race, I immediately wrote an answer in the following words. Gracious Lady, The constant favor His Excellency your husband has shown to me the undeserved benefits he has bestowed upon me, the moral impossibility of fulfilling your gracious desires and many other reasons that I will not name, move me to submit to the anger of my gracious lady rather than consent to an action that would stigmatize me as the most ungrateful and the lowest among all two-legged creatures. Besides, what is desired of me would be more bitter to satisfy than death itself. This action, if I yielded to it, would affect the ruin and dishonor of one of the most respected families in the state, and my willingness would injure, before all others, that person who has desired it. With the most solemn and sincere assurances of gratitude, I must here declare, gracious lady, that under no circumstances can I fulfill your wishes in this respect, although to all other commands I promise a blind obedience. Kika Underneath I wrote the following admonition, Think of this heavy sin, fly ere it be too late. Shall vice, the pander newly in, bow virtue to the gate? Let Cupid not ensnare you. His cunning wiles beware you, the sweets of sin soon vanish. Its pains, ah, who can banish? This letter I sent to the lady, and it had the effect I expected. Her love was changed to the bitterest hatred. In vain her glowing tongue would vie to tell her frightful agony, despairing shame her accents clip. They freeze upon her snowy lip. No tears did flow. Such pain oft dries the blessed current of the eyes. Fell vengeance from her black orbs glanced, while like a fury she advanced. Nevertheless, she restrained her fury until she recovered the love letter she had written to me. As soon as she had secured it, she hired some persons to testify by oath that, in the absence of His Excellency, I had attempted to violate her. This fable was represented with so much art and speciousness that the President did not doubt its truth, and I was ordered to be put in prison. In this, my despairing condition, I saw no other means of deliverance than to confess the crime with which I had been charged, and supplicate the President for mercy, which being done, my life was conceded, but I was doomed to perpetual imprisonment. My charter of nobility was immediately taken away from me, and I was sent to the galleys as a slave. My destination was to one of the ships belonging to the Republic, which then lay ready to sail for Mesenderes, or the Land of Wonders. Thence were brought the wares that Martinia cannot produce. This ship, on board of which my evil fortune had now cast me, was propelled both by sails and oars. At each oar two slaves were chained. Consequently, I was attached to another unfortunate. I was consoled, however, by the prospect of a voyage during which I hoped to find new food and nourishment for my insatiable inquisitiveness, although I did not believe all that the seamen told of the curious things I should see. Several interpreters accompanied us, these being made use of by the mesenderic merchants in the course of their commercial negotiations. End of chapter 10 Recording by Alan Winteroud, boomcoach.blogspot.com